Amen. That is our prayer. That's our hope that Jesus is better. And that's what the Word promises us, that He is indeed our treasure. Well, good morning again, and I invite you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Follow along with me as I read. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be put on the screen for you. It's the last book of the Bible, in case you're wondering where it's located. John says, as he describes the vision that he had of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was, has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. This election here was full of surprises, wasn't it? Seemingly every week, some outlandish revelation would come out, some sort of outburst. Well, the surprises continued even late until Wednesday morning, didn't they? As, as the uh, experts, you could call them, the media both left and right, that afternoon, had already all but declared that Hillary Clinton was going to be the president. 
This was just now a matter of formalities. The, the exit polling was showing that, that, uh, that Donald Trump had no chance. But as the night went on, I, I don't know about you, if you were watching, it was about 9.30 or 10, the tune began to change. It wasn't as they had apparently foreseen. It looks as if, as if the experts were not really experts at all. They didn't have all the information. And as the election results began to come in, astonishment began to come. And and depending on what channel, it might have been hysteria began to sink in. Sarah and I, we we stayed up until 3.30. I had to turn off. I said, we're done. Let's, Let's go to bed. But it wasn't, I don't really know why we kept watching, to be honest. Other than the fact it was fascinating. What is going to happen? In fact, I wanted to see what are these candidates going to say? That was part of the intrigue. But really, as I I reflected back on it, it it was neat as we literally saw God's providential hand unfold. Daniel declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, reminding of him and his rule, that God changes times and seasons and that he removes kings and sets up kings. We're reminded that, yes, the people spoke, but God's hand was sovereign over this affair. Again, David, or Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So on election night, we saw history play out. And we were reminded that we do not know what the future has. It doesn't matter how much information we may gather, how much we, we seem to think that we know, We will not know what God has in store until it unfolds. Now, this is not to suggest somehow that President-elect Trump is approved by God in some special anointing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we got to see history unfold, and it wasn't what most people thought. We learned who God has put and appointed to be the place of authority over our country. Therefore, regardless of whether you voted for him or not, He deserves our respect, our honor, and our prayers, as we even prayed this morning. And as we learned from Romans 13 last Sunday, we do this out of our worship. This is out of loyalty to our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives authority that we recognize and honor those whom He has placed in authority. But this morning, I want to look at the other side of the coin. I want us to look at the other side of government. Last, last week we saw that government is good, and everything that I say today, keep that sermon in balance, okay? Government is good, is a gift of God, but it does have a dark side. So whether you're giddy about Tuesday nights or Wednesday mornings election results, whether Republicans taking control of not only the presidency, but the Senate and the House of Representatives, Whether you're disappointed, maybe you're fearful, I want to remind us from the book of Revelation where all this is ultimately going and why God's people are called to place their trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and why we are longing for a better country. I want us to see from Revelation 13 that as Christians, we must not naively put our trust in government. And this might be more pointed to those who think they won Tuesday. Don't naively put our trust in government. Because the government is ultimately, at the end of the day, the kingdom of man. 
And as we saw in this passage, and I'm going to hope to, to, to point us to, it's a beast. It's a beast. Therefore, this morning, the Lord is calling us to have discernment as we look at our government and its leaders. Twice in this passage, we're called to discernment. The first call comes in verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Means that this is more than just your, your normal perception. Do you have spiritual ears to hear? Jesus would often say this to the people. You have eyes to see and ears to hear. Verse 18, the vision it concludes by saying this calls for wisdom. Calls for discernment. Calls to help us understand what's really going on. And, and really, that's the book of Revelation. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here. And I don't have time to unpack everything. I think those of you who are in mine and Matt Dickey's Sunday school class, we were in there almost a year unpacking Revelation. And I even felt like that was not long enough. So I'm not going to be able to do that for you this morning. But here's where I would encourage you um, as, as we approach this book. Look at it this way. The book of Revelation is, is kind of like a window by which we can then see the world. Scriptures are that way, but particularly Revelation is written in a symbolic manner to help us see the spiritual realities that lie behind the physical world. I don't know how many of you got into the uh, whole Pokemon Go game. Um, I downloaded it. I, I used it for like 30 minutes and said, all right, now I know what it is. Put it away. For those of you who don't know, you would take your phone and you would look through it and you would see this other world, and you would find that there are these creatures running around. And you, you might have seen kids in your neighborhood running around, trying to hunt them down. Or maybe you saw some of the adults here at this church running around the property, trying to catch them. The book of Revelation is, is, is in a similar way, a lens by which you, you kind of lift up the veil, and you see what's behind. And in this case, government. And it's a beast. It's ferocious. And what we're going to see as we look at this passage is that what the Lord wants us to understand, He wants us to have ears to, to hear. He wants to have wisdom as we think about these things. And how I've broken up this passage is that we're going to see um, three things about government and God's purpose for it. And number one, we're going to see that government is destructive. So hold that in balance. Government's good. But here's the other side of the coin. It's also destructive. Number two, government is deceptive. And number three, government is limited, which is where our hope is going to be found this morning. So number one, government is destructive. John describes what he sees in fantastic language, doesn't he? He, he envisions this beast rising out of the sea. Look again in verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now look at this beast. It has ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. This is quite the description, isn't it? What a creature. This is something you might see in a nightmare or, or better yet, maybe a science fiction movie. This beast is ferocious. This vision is not based on science fiction. This is not some nuclear holocaust gone wrong and Godzilla is coming out of the sea and he's not quite what the movie's made out him to be. Rather, this vision actually comes from the book of Daniel. 
This vision comes from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel also received a vision, a vision that would um, detail what would be taking place in the kingdoms of this world, what would lead up to the last days, and, and he saw four successive kingdoms come out of the sea. He saw four beasts that would come out of the sea. And the first kingdom was like a lion, Daniel said. And the second kingdom would be like a bear, and the third like a leopard. And then Daniel's fourth kingdom comes out and he says he was more terrifying than all the other beasts. Now just a quick history lesson. Who were these beasts? Well, these weren't literal creatures coming out of the sea. These were literal governments. These were literal kingdoms. And the first beast that Daniel spoke of was Babylon, whom you saw, if you've read the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends, Daniel and, uh, and, and his friends uh, in the lion's den and the fiery furnace, this is, this is Babylon, the first kingdom. But the second kingdom, which was the, uh, another beast, was the Medo-Persians, who then came in and they gobbled up Babylon. Then there's a third kingdom that you know, eats up the Medo-Persian kingdom, and that's Greeks, the Greeks. And then there's the fourth one, and this is Rome. Rome comes in and gobbles up those kingdoms. And so this is the government that is, at, at this, is ruling at this time in the book of Revelation. This is the government that we've seen in Romans 13 that, that Paul called to submit to and honor and recognize where its authority comes from. This is the Roman Empire. And John's vision explains why the fourth kingdom was so terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong because Rome at this point, this fulfillment of these things, encompasses the three previous kingdoms. So that's why it has multiple heads. It has multiple horns. It is, it is all these beasts combined coming out of the sea. Rome is like these four horrible kingdoms wrapped up into one. And this is why the beast here in verse 13 has all the beastly features of a lion, of a bear, and a leopard. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found on a path or in the wilderness and come across a lion, a bear, or a leopard. Do you? Why? Because they're ferocious. They'll, they'll shred you up. They'll, they'll eat you. And I don't know if playing dead will work with all those creatures, you know? The ten horns signify great power. And also likens the beast to the description of the dragon in chapter 12, verse 3. Look at with me. Just flip over one chapter. This is vision of the dragon. And look at this dragon in chapter 12, verse 3. Behold, a great red dragon with, notice, seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Okay, this, this dragon is the same creature, Okay. This is the beast, if you want to put it that way. Look in verse 9. Who is this dragon? Chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So as we look back at our passage this morning, verse 2, this is exactly the connection that's made it's like a leopard. It's like a lion. He's like a bear. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. What's going on here? This beast, 
though representing a kingdom, is the Antichrist. This is who this is. This figure is Antichrist. And it's interesting to note that Satan gives this beastly figure everything that Satan offered Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. Do you remember that temptation? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes out in the wilderness. And what does Satan offer him? If you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Well, Satan gives not Christ, but Antichrist, all his power, his throne, and authority. And so what we're learning here in Revelation chapter 13 is that the Roman Empire represented the work of Satan and Antichrist in the world. Rome and its emperor were not the final beastly kingdom, though. There are elements in this that that fit Rome, but it seems to go beyond Rome. Its scope is universal. It seems able to do things that Rome was unable to do. But nevertheless, it reminds us that the kingdoms of this world, to a greater or lesser degree, are under the influence and power of Satan. And I want you to, I want you to see this elsewhere. This is what John warns the churches in his first epistle. So if you want to just go backward to your left, you'll go to Jude, and then you'll see 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to what John, how he pastors his congregation. Children, it is the last hour. It's another way of saying it's the last days. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Oak Park, you've heard Antichrist is coming, right? But notice what he says. So now... Many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John is under this framework of understanding that there is an antichrist to come, this figure, this world ruler, if you want to put it, who is going to come, but that now, even in his present day, there are many antichrists who are present. And this is true for us as well. Paul says the very same thing. Let's go over to 2 Thessalonians. So keep going left in your Bible. You'll go through Peter and Hebrews, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and we'll arrive in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm just going to pick up in verse 3. And I want you to pick up on this theme. Everyone's saying, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Have wisdom. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, speaking of the return of the Lord, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So there's this one, Paul calls him, not Antichrist, but the man of lawlessness, who's going to come and he's going to lead a rebellion. He's going to declare himself to be God. Jump down to verse 7. But notice he, he has this idea that his work's already here. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
There's one coming, but you can already see his handiwork and what's going on in the world. Go on to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. That's exactly what we see in Revelation 13. With all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What makes the beast here so destructive? Is that it is the work of Satan. Why are governments oppressive? Why are governments at times destructive? Because they lie under the power of the evil one. But I want you to look at, back in our passage in Revelation 13 a little bit more specifically of how this is done. Notice the, the horns of this kingdom this represent power and might. They had blasphemous words on their heads. But look in verse 5, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Then jump down to verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. What it's saying is that these governmental figures who are in the spirit of Antichrist, they oppose the things of God. They speak against the truth of God. And they therefore speak against his people. They speak against his dwelling place, which is those who are citizens of heaven. It opposes the things of God. And so this really helps us understand how the destruction begins to take place. And I think a good example of where this happens in our day right now would be North Korea. If you're familiar at all, there's a uh, a, a Netflix documentary. It, it's, it's sad. It's heartbreaking if you watch. But what you'll see is Kim Jong-un presents himself just like Nebuchadnezzar, which is the point of Daniel, and I think what John is doing in Revelation, these figures, Nero at this time, Domitian uh, leading Rome, they are antichrist, and there's many of them. But they're going to lead to this one figure. Well, well Kim Jong-un really looks like Nebuchadnezzar because he literally plays music and his banner unfolds and everybody's expected to bow down and worship. And if you do not, you will pay. You will be killed. You'll be thrown into labor camps. I looked up on a 2000. 14 report, 50,000 Christians have been imprisoned in North Korea and 200,000 have gone missing and can no longer be accounted for. That's just one. Christians in areas where ISIS is in power are imprisoned. They're tortured and killed in horrific manners. Their children are taken out of their homes and they are brainwashed and enlisted as soldiers. They're beasts. In China both in registered and unregistered churches. Christians face harassment, arbitrary arrests, fines, denials of justice, lengthy prison sentences. And the closing or the destruction of their churches are based on the fact that we must maintain social order. Pastors are accused of being cult leaders and, and, and uh, insurrectionists. Printers in China risk imprisonment as they seek to print off Bibles. 
These are just a few examples where Christianity is specifically restricted. Where the government and their leaders speak haughty things, destructive things, words which deceive and make war upon the saints. And you might be saying, yeah, but America's not like that. America doesn't do that, and you're right. Praise God that we have been given freedom, and, and those of you who are veterans who have fought for that freedom by which we are able to do this with no fear today. No fear. And just as we prayed for our, our president-elect, we pray that he will continue to fight for religious li liberty and that we can continue to preach the gospel without fear and we may live peaceful and quiet lives. But this doesn't mean that America does not have beastly qualities. It may not represent the full-fledged beast, but it has elements of it. We see this in abortion. It's nearly a million babies this year alone have been aborted. Colorado voted to um, make legal assisted suicide. And it's all through figureheads who speak lies. And therefore, we don't value life, yet we'll say we do. And we'll kill both the young and the old and anyone who does not deem worthy to fit in society. And we'll help them believe that they aren't worthy. They don't know how to die well. They don't know how to die in the Lord. They've been bought into a philosophy, blasphemous words that lead to death. Mothers who come into Planned Parenthood just across the river who are looking for help and relief have bought into a lie and they're often taken advantage of and told the only way out of your poverty and trouble is if we abort this child. And the government funds this. Sexual revolution, gay marriage, gender confusion, it's destroying families destroying individuals. Suicide rate is going up and it's among those who identify with the LGBT community. And they're, and they're told, hey, no, that's because Christianity tells you to go against what your feelings say and they're conflicted and they really are and we want to be gracious and kind and merciful. But the conflict has come because blasphemous words have been spoken. Words against the true God and King. And so as the beast of America has allowed this to infiltrate the culture and has changed the hearts of the people, now the pressure cooker is up. And now you have people, it seems like it's becoming more and more acceptable and that there are more and more people coming out. That's because there is no restraint anymore. No truth is out there anymore. So they've believed a lie. It's brought great destruction. Secularism which draws many people away from the truth. Go to a secular university, go to Louisville or IUS, and you will have professors who are spouting off blasphemous things. The greed of pure capitalism, just cold and harsh to the poor. It says, get a job and stop begging for money. Power-hungry leaders who will devour whoever they must to get into power. And I would offer to say we saw that in the last election cycle, did we not? I will do and abuse whoever I need and use whoever I need just to get on top. It's because it's the kingdom of man. It represents the beast. It has beastly qualities. 
That's why we can't put our trust naively that this is going to bring about the kingdom or this is going to bring about the righteousness we've all hoped for. I, I pray that this administration does. And we want it to uphold the sanctity of life and, and restore the rightful place of marriage. But brothers and sisters, don't be surprised if it doesn't. Don't be surprised if things just keep tearing the way they have. How's the government going to do that? It does it through deception. We've kind of already touched on this. The government persuades people to go along with its agenda. That's just part of being man, isn't it? We want everybody to get in line. We want everybody to, to follow the lead, do what we say. So they have to get people on board. And the deception that turns people away is to turn people away from Christ and turn them towards Antichrist. But of course it doesn't say that. No one's going to come up, including in the Scripture. No one says, I'm the beast I'm Antichrist. By the way, I go by other names, the man of lawlessness. No one, that's not how that works. Let no one deceive you. Why? Because it's not going to be readily apparent. If you go back to that passage in 2 Thessalonians, don't do it now, but just do it in your time of, of looking over things. He won't be revealed until Christ comes and destroys him. And so there's a sense in which there's many antichrists. Could the antichrist be out there? Yes. But we won't know until the last day when the heavens open and he destroys him with the word of his mouth. But I want you to see that this deception that Satan produces is a counterfeit Christ. That's why we call him antichrist. And in our passage, there's several areas where he, he has this fake Christ put forward. Chapter 2, we, we see that this beast, this Antichrist, he too has a kingdom, as Christ has a kingdom. Verse 3, 12, and 14 continues to retell that he experiences a death and a resurrection. By the way, what I think that is referring to is Christ's death when Christ, uh, or excuse me, Satan's death when Christ defeated him on the cross and stripped him of all his authority and power, and there's a sense in which the spirit of his, of his lawlessness still is here, but he is going to rise again. And people, when they see him, will say, who is like the beast? Who can withstand him? Verse 4. What does he do? Just as Christ demands our worshipers in seeking true worship, he demands true worship. Verses 4, 8, and 15. Just as God has marked his people, chapter 14, so he has a mark, the mark of the beast, verse 16. Verse 11, he looks like a lamb. He looks like a lamb. And in verse 13, he too performs signs and wonders. Now, I don't have time to unpack all those, but I want to just look at a couple of them. So we look closer at Satan's deceptive, we see two main avenues that he persuades people to show complete loyalty to the state. And the first is through false religion, and this is where I was referring to he looks like a lamb. Look in verse 11. Now I saw another beast. So who's this? Well, this beast rises out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb. But notice it spoke like a dragon. You're going to look at it, it's going to look like a lamb, a little cuddly lamb that you're going to love. And say, oh, isn't that so sweet? And that looks like it's good, but we're called to listen to what it says. Because that lamb's bite and his words 
are the venom of a dragon. Who is this one? We find out in chapter 19 when Jesus defeats the Antichrist and his beast. Chapter 19, verse 20. Who is this lamb who speaks like a dragon, this second beast? Revelation 19, 20 says, And the beast was captured. And this is the second coming. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And the two were thrown into the lake of fire. Who is this second beast that looks like a cuddly lamb but speaks like a dragon? It's false religion. I'd say it's false Christianity. He presents himself like a lamb. But he's a dragon. And this looks like Christianity. It presents itself as what is good, but its voice is like a, a dragon. And this is exactly what Jesus warned us in Mark chapter 13. So let's flip over to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark 13, verses 19 through 23. Jesus says, for in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation, created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. That's how destructive this will be. It won't just kill Christians, but because it's the work of Satan, it ultimately kills itself. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ... Or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But you be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. Why do you think we need to be on guard? Because it's going to be deceptive. It's going to look like, oh, that's Christianity. It's going to look good. It's going to promote things that we, on the surface, oh, that's what we want. That seems right. That seems loving. That seems kind. But listen. Have an ear to hear. Second way the state will persuade is by force. Go back to Revelation 13. It's going to have persuasive words, but if you don't listen to the words, it will turn up the heat. Verse 4. And they worshiped the dragon, for it was given authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? You can see that. Oh, I'm not taking on the beast. I mean, who's going to take on the government? We're certainly not. That's why there's another reason not to do that. Go on to verse 7. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And so it causes all. You see this? This is, here's threat. It's like Nebuchadnezzar. You, you worship me or I'll throw you in the fiery furnace will do these things. What we see here in verses 16 through 17, what I think a lot of you are interested in, is what is this mark of the beast? 
Verse 16, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless it has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Let me comment on that just a little bit. What is the mark of the beast? I don't take this literally that there is a mark that's going to be stamped on people's foreheads and stamped on people's hands. It's not going to be your credit card or your social security number or a barcode or many of the endless speculation that's gone on in the last hundred years trying to figure out what's this mark. I would say those who've gone down that path don't understand how to read this genre of literature and the symbolic nature of it. This literature is describing spiritual realities. Therefore, just as God marks his people, look in 14.1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I take this as the church, the true redeemed. We don't have little names marked on our foreheads, but he knows who are his. I'll show this a little bit more. If you go to Deuteronomy 6, 8, don't turn there. But this is where the Lord gives, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And we are as good parents to, 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 to teach our children these things. And, and what are you to do with that truth? Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. This was not to be taken literally. This was to put the word of God in your mind. And it was to be on your hand so that it influences the work of your hand, your, your actions. And so in the same way, this is a counterfeit. Buy into Satan's words, Satan's deception, his system. Put it on your mind, put it on your hand. Let it influence your life. It's to direct you. And so here in Revelation 13, the mark signifies the state's approval which gives freedom or threatens economic repercussions. Now, an example of this, where this could happen or is happening, is in those countries that require churches to be registered with the state. You know what those registrations mean? You are under our approval. You speak what we want you to. If you go out of bounds, we'll shut you down. And so those churches that say, all right, we won't speak what the Scripture says out of fear, and we'll do what Caesar says. They're buying in. Here in America, we could see it this way, right? Churches, if you speak against the state's ruling on marriage, if you do not allow same-sex couples to join your church or even serve as leadership of your Christian organizations, you will be fined or you will lose your tax-exempt status. Now, that isn't happening yet, but we're getting really close. Already on college campuses, that is already happening. Just recently, InterVarsity, InterVarsity Campus Organization has, has had to um, let go many people from their organization who have now embraced uh, the new sexual ethic. And they are receiving a world of heat for it. You remember maybe a few years ago, Vanderbilt banned all Christian organizations that don't adhere to their standard of approval get off the campus. This is what it looks like. And this is most apparent here in the U.S. with the sexual revolution. 
And you're seeing Christians quickly get on board. Just recently, famous speaker and author, Jen Hatmaker, you might know her, came out in full support of the LGBT lifestyle, suggesting that such a way of living is not in contradiction to Christianity. It's because the culture's changing. And if you don't buy into the culture, therefore, you have no influence. And you're going to see high-profile Christian leaders. You're going to see who are really Christian leaders here very, very soon. And she's just one example of many, including denominations, who have all, not all of them, our denomination, Southern Baptist Convention has not. PCA has not. There are other Christian denominations are holding the line, but there are many denominations and churches are saying, we're going with the culture. We'll bow to the state. We'll bow to the, the, the beast. They're not saying it that way. They're presenting it. Hey, you can be a Christian and you can hold to these things, yet denying the fact for 2,000 years of church history, it's been unanimous, both in the Christian tradition and if you go back into the Jewish tradition, that this has clearly been uh, an aberrant theology and that this is contrary to the truth of God. And yet now it's being presented as, no, this is the true loving Christ thing to do, and it is deceiving many. That's what it looks like to take the mark of the beast, brothers and sisters. You're not going to accidentally sign up for the wrong credit card. Okay? You're not going to accidentally go to the doctor and he slips a chip in your hand. You're going to the eye doctor and putting new things that go, hey, right here, a chip in your forehead. It's not going to happen. You're not going to accidentally do this, at least going to the doctor or signing up for something. No, this is, you, you might accidentally be deceived and buy into the world system. And you buy into it, and it infects your mind, and it infects your life. Jesus put it this way, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. This is the call to endurance, brothers and sisters. Are we going to be ashamed of Christ and his words? Because right now some of you are already feeling awkward. I, I even feel it, and I'm in a Christian church. Because you're not, oh no, Chase, you're not supposed to talk about these things. Why? Because the culture, the beast, says you shouldn't. And it's influencing and deceiving people. And it gets personal because we know people we love dearly who we don't want to see deceived. And to say these things is taken as, well, you must be unloving and unkind. But no, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you might look like a lamb by squelching these things, but you'll speak like a dragon to those people and you'll devour them. You'll give them no hope. The hope of Jesus Christ. Look what happens to those who take the mark, who buy into the system. Chapter 14, verse 9. If anyone worships the beast, worshiping the beast, it can look like literally worshiping, or it could be wholesale loyalty. Whoever worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. But look in verse 12. 
brothers and sisters, hears us. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Don't give in, brothers and sisters. Don't give in. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And the world is going to keep an onslaught coming. I pray that it's restrained a little longer, but this is where it's going. And the deception's real, and I fear some of you have already begun to step your toe in that pool. This will be your end if you buy in. So where's the hope? I got a couple minutes. Let me bring some hope, okay? <laughs> government is destructive. The government is deceptive, but the government is limited. Government is limited. This kind of brings us back to Romans 13 a little bit. Throughout this passage, we're given some hope. And you might say, where is it, Chase? Because I don't see it. The hope is, is that even though this kingdom is a beast, it's not outside of the sovereign hand of God. Throughout Revelation 13, I want you to see where this authority comes from. Woven through this passage, the beast authority is given to him. Who's the giver? Well, there's only one authority, God. And so this beast cannot do anything apart from the sovereign hand of God. Governments cannot do. Kim Jong-un cannot do more than what God has allowed him to do. And same is true for every elected president of the United States. And I want you to just see uh, verse um, 5, the Antichrist's ability to speak. The beast was given a mouth. Its ability to even speak haughty things, boastful things is given to him. Again, verse 5, the duration of its reign. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. His reign is limited. No king who wants ultimate powers says, oh, I'll just limit my reign. God limits their reign. It's terror. Verse 7, it was allowed to make war on the saints. So when we feel like the culture is making war on us, don't, don't fret, brothers and sisters. It's only been allowed to do that by God. Its scope is also given by God. Verse 7, an authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It's deceptive authority, verses 14 and 15, was given to it by signs that is allowed. It's the same term in the Greek. It was given to work in the presence of the beast, even the mark. And it was given, uh, allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. Even its deceptions that are quite persuasive are given by God. Why? Why would God do that? to remind us, one, to endure. Look in verse 9. Here's where wisdom comes in, brothers and sisters. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. This is what the Lord is telling us. Have an ear, brothers and sisters. If God has determined that you will be thrown into captivity, into prison, you will go. If God has determined that some of you will die, you will die, but here's the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Don't give in. God's over this. No matter what threat the government might bring, know that it's not outside of God's sovereign hand. That's why he says again at the very end, this calls for understanding. 
Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for its number is a number of man, and its number is 666. What's, what's that mean? Lots of people have speculated, but here's at least the bottom line. It's the number of a man. It's man's kingdom. That's why it's limited. 666 will always be short of seven. God's ultimate power. Don't give in. Don't give in. So what is God wanting to do in us? Why is he calling us to endurance and faith? So that we will long for the better country. So that we will take our hands that are so, mine are this way, are so tied to the things of this world. We cherish them. We love our things. But God strips those out of us by reminding us, no, 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 this isn't the kingdom that you're looking for. This isn't going to satisfy like you think it will. So what is the hope that we're looking for? What's the kingdom to come? It's when Jesus will come in the clouds and he'll be like one, a son of man. He won't be like a beast. He'll be like a true human, a true human leader, one who comes in the authority of the ancient of days and to him is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages shall serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. It has no limits and it will never pass away. And his kingdom shall not be destroyed. This is the kingdom that we are looking for. And it is a kingdom, brothers and sisters, that he is going to, as Daniel says, be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's you and me. He's given authority for a time to the beast of this world. And ultimately there will be one who rises up. I have no idea or any theories behind how that's going to happen, by the way. But there are many, as you know, Antichrist is coming. There are many, many beastly governments. But we must not naively put our trust in thinking, oh, this is the time. This is how it's going to be. Even if it gets a stamp of approval of Christianity, listen to what it says. Does it speak like a dragon? So that we may have the endurance and the faith of the saints in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. And we'll sing one closing song. Father, I pray for endurance. I pray that as our hearts are no doubt tugged, many of us feel the deception. Even this morning on some of the things I said, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, that we'd heed the call to wisdom, and that even as we Recognize, Lord, you've given government to maintain order and punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. There is still this other side of it, but yet it is the kingdom of man. And Lord, it is a beast. And I pray that we would flee the beast and his Christ, his false Christ. And we would run to Jesus, to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I pray this thing, these things for our good and our joy, and that we would long for the better country whose foundations can never be shaken. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.